Good to see y'all in the house of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the 13th chapter of Romans. Romans, the 13th chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 8, says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, which is murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended or summed up in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill or does not harm his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed or when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, that word honestly is properly, as in the day, not rioting or reverently, or drunkenness, nor in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now, as I said earlier, this week, Cub Wednesday, is a very important day, which is Veterans Day. And this is my Veterans Day service uh, to the veterans for what they have done. Now, when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president from 1953 to 1961, he received a letter from a little boy. This little eight-year-old boy's name was Keith Aiken, and he was from uh, Trumbull, Connecticut. And this is what Kevin wrote. I want to quote this. After listening to the news about the Cold War, I am worried about the people in the world. In thinking it over, I have a plan. Get all the leaders together who want war, put them in a ring, and let them fight it out. Well, I'm sure many veterans of war would agree with that, of foreign war, and, you know, that's probably the way they feel about war. But just, just let those who want to fight do the fight. Don't get everybody else in it. You know, don't get everybody else involved. Because war is a terrible thing, and yet it seems that war is inevitable in our world. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew 24, 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen but the end is still to come. Now, when you read that verse, a lot of Bible commentators will say or believe that, that however, that Jesus was talking about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which took place about 70 A.D. 
But could it be that war is also a sign of the second coming of Christ? Many people believe that. Many people believe so. Wars do seem inevitable. This is what General Sherman once said. He said, you don't know the horrible aspects of war. I've been through two wars and I know. I've seen city and homes in ashes. I've seen thousands of men laying on the ground, their dead faces looking up at the skies. I tell you, war is hell. I don't question General Sherman's feelings and convictions about war. For this reason, if you have never been there and you have never done that, you just don't know. However, I have heard it put this way, that war is hellish, but not hell. Why do I say that? Based on Scripture, I would say that is true because nothing is as horrible as hell. If you don't believe me, get your Bible out and start studying about hell, and I promise you, you don't want no part of it. You know, but let's talk about World War II. You know, it, it qualifies as perhaps the greatest war. The most hellish war in history. Because of this, in all, there were 61 countries that were involved with 1.7 billion people. That was three-fourths of the world's population at that time that took part. In terms of money spent, the total dollar amount was put at over a trillion dollars. Now think about that. That was when? 1942 or whatever, 41? You know, a trillion dollars was astronomical compared to today. So it, it makes it the most expensive war of all. The human lives that, that were cost in that war, not including the five or six million Jews that died in Holocaust, was put at 55 million. 25 million, the, those were military. 30 million were civilian. So I would say war is indeed hellish. Some aspects of war are never right, you know, regardless of the war. But we must support those who are willing to go on behalf of our country and fight for us. You know, someone wrote, once wrote, it is the veteran, not the preacher, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of of speech or of press. It is the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It's the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom of assembly. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the veteran who salutes the flag who serves under the flag. Today, I want to honor all of our on-service veterans. To the veterans that hear this sermon, to them we owe a great deal, a great debt of gratitude because they were willing to go, they were willing to serve and give on behalf of the United States. So God bless every veteran that is out there. But now, what I want to talk to you about today is being a veteran, or let's think about being a veteran 
of the faith of Christ. Something that we all need to be. Something that we all need to do. There's three points. First one is to obey our commandments. The second one is to engage the enemy. And the third one is fight to the end. So let's go to obey our commander. Obey the commander. There once was a blowhard Air Force general, or major, I'm sorry, that was promoted to colonel. And he got a new office. And the first day that he was there on the job, he was in his new office, and this airman knocked on the door and wanted to speak to him. The colonel, feeling the urge that he wanted to impress this young airman, picked up the phone, and this is what he began saying. Yes, General, thank you. Yes, I will pass that information along to the president this afternoon. Yes, goodbye, sir. Then turning to the airman, he barked, What do you want? The airman said, Nothing important, sir. I just came to hook up your telephone. Ah. So you think about that. Some people have authority. Some just want authority. You know, uh, some people pretend to have authority. Some people have authority, and some just want to be in authority position. Our president has authority. While we may not agree with everything he says, we may not agree with everything he does, he is still our commander-in-chief, and we need to be supporting him in prayer. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Our ultimate commander-in-chief is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that. As I said at long this morning when I was preaching there, God is still on His throne. He is still in control. He still has His plan and His purpose. And it doesn't matter what's going on in Washington, D.C. He is still our Commander-in-Chief, our true authority. And that's all we need to worry about. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.22, And God placed all things under His feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed Him to be the head over everything for the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. We need to listen to Him. You know, shortly after joining the Navy, there was a new recruit that asked his officer for a pass so that he could attend a wedding. The officer gave this recruit his pass, but then he informed the young man that he would have to be back at base by 7 p.m. Sunday. And the young man said, you don't understand, sir. I'm in the wedding. The, the, the commanding officer shot back and he said, you're in the Navy. That's what you need to be worried about. So, you know, and, and let me reiterate it this way. There was an author by the name of Patsy Claremont. And she found herself on an airplane. And she was sitting to a, by a young man. That's where she got seated. And uh, she observed that there was something about this young man as she was being seated because he called her man. 
So she drew to one of three conclusions. At the time she thought, well, this young man either thinks I'm ancient, or he's from the south where they still teach manners, or he's in the service. So she decided that probably this young man was in the service. So she asked him, she said, you in the service? Yes, ma'am. What branch? Well, I'm a Marine. A Marine? She said, where are you coming from? He said, well, I've been in Operation Desert Storm. No kidding, Desert Storm. How long have you been there? He said, for a year and a half. A year and a half? He said, yeah, I'm on my way home. My family will be waiting for me at the airport. Well, this author commented that he must have thought about returning home on numerous occasions, returning to his family, well, you know, while he was there in the Middle East, and he said, oh, no, ma'am, we were taught never to think of what might not ever be, what might not ever happen, but to be fully available right where we were. Jesus is our commander-in-chief. Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I, what I say? What else is there to say? You see, Jesus is more concerned about our walk than he is our talk. Jesus is more concerned with us doing the right thing and not just having the right words to say. What you do cannot be separated from what you believe. That brings me to my second point, which is to engage the enemy. There was an 18-year-old that apparently stole a police car in Seattle, and he decided he was going to take it for a joyride. And of course, it was uh, the theft was reported on on the police radio. You know, it was a law enforcement broadcast, and there was a bicycle patrol officer that spotted. The car downtown, the, stock, the stolen car, and a police car immediately began giving chase. Well, he had to kind of hesitate at a red light to make sure there wasn't any oncoming traffic, and he lost sight of the police car that had been stolen. So anyway, thinking, you know, that, that uh, because it was stopped there at the red light, another cop came along, and he thought, because it stopped at that red light, that's the stolen police car. So he rammed it from behind. And the two policemen in the car, you know, that had been hit thought they were under attack. So they pulled out their guns and started shooting in the guy behind them. And the guy behind started shooting back. And they exchanged 20 rounds before they realized the mistake that they were shooting at each other, not the stolen vehicle. So oh, anyway, you know, folks, I say that and I tell you that story to, to say this. this. This is not much different than some churches today. Some church members are more about shooting at one another than they do the real enemy. What did I tell y'all a week or two ago? Who is our real adversary? Not one another. It's not the person that gets on your last nerve. It is Satan. That is your true, real adversary. You know, we Christians are at war, but we're not to be at war with one another. When we fight with one another, we are only giving the enemy an upper hand. We're helping him out. 
The devil loves it when people start bickering and arguing and fighting in church. We need to fight against some things, but not be fighting against one another. Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6.12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Peter 5.8, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, years ago, Joe Lewis became the heavyweight boxing champion of the world in 1934. And he successfully defended that title 25 times. 25 times. And that was over a 15-year period. The, the sports voice of those days was Bill Stern. And Bill Stern asked Joe Lewis, he said, how have you been able to knock out all of your opponents so quickly in almost every fight? Well, after a few minutes, Joe Lewis said this, two things. He says, first, I study my opponent until I know him better than he knows himself. Secondly, he says, I make a plan of attack. My question to you today Knowing that Satan is your adversary, knowing that that is who you're battling against on a day-by-day -day basis, what is your spiritual attack? What is your spiritual plan of attack against the enemy? Now, there was an old deacon. He used to get called on every Wednesday night at prayer meeting to end the service. Every Wednesday night, he always concluded his prayer the same way. He said, and Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life. Well, it got to be too much for one fellow in the prayer meeting. He had heard the old deacon one time too often. So when the, the old man made the prayer, the fellow jumped to his feet and he shouted, Lord, Lord, don't do it. Kill the spider. Now you think about this. Sometimes we are so focused on the cobwebs instead of what caused the cobwebs in the first place. You know, who is the one causing the cobwebs in your life? Satan. Satan is the one who's caused it. You know, that's where all the cobwebs come from. We all have cobwebs in our lives, but our real enemy is Satan. We need to fight against him. We do that by bringing in the big guns of prayer, of, of Bible study, of going to church, by giving, by serving. Again, I back up to 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be of self-control and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. In other words, what Peter is warning us is that we need to watch out for Satan when we are suffering, when we are persecuted. Because if you're feeling alone, when you're weak, when you are helpless, 
When you are cut off from other believers or if you are so focused on your troubles, those cobwebs that I was telling you about, that you forget to watch out for danger, those are the times when Satan will attack you. Because you remember, he's very conniving. He's very devious. And, and you know, in times like that, when we're vulnerable, that's when he steps in. So during times of, of the cobwebs in our lives, we need to seek other Christians for support. Keep your eye on our ultimate commander-in-chief and resist the devil. You know, we fight the enemy by doing the faith stuff in our lives. Now, the last point that I want to bring to you this evening is fight to the end. Fight to the end. The Bible tells us in Matthew 10, 22, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Matthew 24, 12-14 says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. A man said that there was this young, young friend of his that got sent off. He went into the military. He got sent off to boot camp. And it was a very rude awakening, this life in the military, because it was 24-7 for him. It wasn't 9 to 5 or 8 to 4. Well, you see, the Christian life is not a matter of just coming to church Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whenever and then forgetting about our faith all the rest of the time. It is 24-7. You know, and this young recruit, in the army. He was in the mess hall. And he turned his nose up at the army stew and complained to the mess sergeant. He said, I, I don't like the stew. Don't I have any choices here? And the sergeant replied, certainly you do, soldier. Take it or leave it. That's your choices. Folks, we are called to fight in a war. You know, not sit around and gripe about what we don't like at church or gripe about what we don't like in life. You know, this, this, I want to end with this story. This, this is attributed to, to Gentleman Jim Cobert. Uh, he was also the world heavyweight champion at the end of, of the uh, uh, 19th century. He held the title for five years. And he was famous for saying this. Fight one more round. When your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle back to the middle of the ring, you fight one more round. When your arms are so tired you can hardly pick them up to defend yourself, you fight one more round. When your nose is bleeding and both of your eyes are black and you've been beat to a pulp, and you wish that your opponent would just crack your jaw and put you to sleep, you fight one more round, remembering that the man who fights one more round is never with. I encourage you today, brothers and sisters, we need to fight one more round. 
Just one more round. And after that, fight another round. We have to keep fighting if we expect to experience victory. We cannot just simply throw our hands up and quit. You know, Churchill said it this way. After the deliverance of Dunkirk, he rallied the Britain troops in one of his most memorable speeches. He said it this way. He said, we will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. 2 Timothy says this. I have 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. My question to you is, have you? Have you fought the good fight? Another question I will ask you is, will we? Will we fight the good fight? Will we fight till our dying day? You see, no matter how difficult the fight seems, keep fighting. Why do you say keep fighting, Mr. Preacher? Because it's worth it. That's the only way we experience our victory. John Stuart Mill, who was a philosopher from London, England, he died in 1873, uh, said, War is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of our moral and patriotic feeling is much worse. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight is a miserable creature. There are some things worth fighting for, folks. Our freedom in America is worth fighting for. Our freedom in Christ Jesus is worth fighting for. All I can say about this sermon today is God bless the USA, God bless our U.S. veterans, and God bless the veterans of the Christian faith. Let's pray again. Father God, we just thank You so much for the time that we've had today. And Father, we just honor all of our veterans. Come Wednesday, Veterans Day, we just thank You and we praise You for them. We thank You that they were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have the freedom, such as this freedom today of coming to church and worshiping You. Father, just bless each and every one of them. Father, we just thank You for Your continued protection. We ask that You continue to protect us in this very challenging time. Father, just this virus is ramping up again. Father, we're all concerned about it. We know people that are fighting it as we speak. And we just pray that somehow through Your mercy and grace, Your healing hand will just touch this virus, Father, and take it away. Just remove it from us. Father, there's other people that have other needs that we've been praying about, and we lift those folks up to You as well. Father, we just, we just know that You're the great physician. We know that all things are possible through You who strengthens us. So Father, just, just help each and every one of us. Forgive us where we fail You, Father. And we lift up this nation to You. A very challenging time. We lift up all of our government officials, Father. And I just pray that they will seek Your guidance and direction instead of following their own heart, Father. Following their own will and law. Thinking they know what's right. I just pray, Father, that you'll guide and direct each and every one of us, Father, and just help us put one foot in front of the other and to carry on. Father, just thank you again for all your blessings, and we just ask that you bring us back at the next appointed hour.
In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.